Good morning. We learn by imitation, right? That's kind of how we learn things. I learned how to tie a tie by watching my dad do it every morning for work. Sometimes when I'm in the kitchen cooking, Annabelle is nearby in her play kitchen preparing some sort of pretend meal for her animals On other days, less cute, our kids imitate our less honorable behaviors. We imitate and we learn. I learned to play basketball by pretending to be Magic Johnson on a basketball court. Doctors learn how to be doctors not only by studying textbooks, but by watching and imitating examples shown to them through their training. Imitation works. Now, the Bible talks about the followers of Jesus as disciples. That if we follow Jesus, then we are disciples. And what that means is it's more than just having a group of people that sit down and hear a teacher teach. A disciple had a relationship with their teacher or their master, as they often called them, or their rabbi, their teacher. in such a way that they were expected to learn how to be like their teacher, to be like their master. And so to be a disciple of Jesus was to be imitating Jesus, to follow the master's example. In, John, in 1 John chapter 2, um, John writes this, we know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments, him being Jesus, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in, in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Again, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Living as Jesus lived, imitating Christ. This is how we demonstrate for ourselves and for others that we are disciples of Jesus. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be in a series called In the Footsteps of Jesus. We're going to be exploring what it is for us to live as Jesus lived, to look at characteristics about who Jesus was, the way that Jesus not only taught but lived His life, and what we can learn for our own lives today. And this morning, we're going to begin this series by reflecting on something that I think is pretty central to Jesus' life and Jesus' message. We're going to explore the giving nature of Jesus, who in His very appearance on earth gave generously for the sake of others. We're going to explore a life of giving. Now, to do this, we're going to jump into a book in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in the eighth chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to look a little bit at what 
the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter to this church in Corinth, and we're going to talk a little bit about Corinth. Corinth is a, is a fairly wealthy place. It's a cosmopolitan town in that era. There were trade routes that went through there. There was a considerable amount of wealth in Corinth. And so he is, this is a second letter to this group of Christians in Corinth, and he's writing to them about this very topic. And so we're going to read this together, and we're going to explore it. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church in the midst of a very severe trial, very difficult times. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege in sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will, by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, one of the co-workers, to just as he had earlier made at a beginning, Uh, made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love that we had kindled in you, in other words, you guys are doing really well. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first, not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eagerness your eager willingness to do so may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Let's pray. Lord, as we engage this topic, this idea of giving, Lord, help us to approach your word with openness, with open hearts, to receive from you direction that we may need. Challenge us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. This morning, I believe we are reminded that to live like Christ, to live in the footsteps of Jesus is to embrace a life of giving. Again, 
To live like Christ is to embrace a life of giving. Now, even though verse 9 is in the middle, sandwiched in the middle of the passage that we just read, I'd like to start there in verse 9 because it's there that we discover what for Paul is understood as the primary motivation for a life of generosity and giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty um, you might become rich. This is the kind of language that was used often in his letters as he wrote to the Philippian church. Look at Jesus' example about what he gave up for the sake of others. He's calling upon the same sort of imagery here in 2 Corinthians. The motivation comes back to how Jesus lived, what Jesus did. Now, for sure, in this whole comparison here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing, first of all, to a fairly well-off community, as we mentioned. And he is drawing their comparison to the church in Macedonia, a group of people that did not nearly have as much. By comparison, the Macedonian church or churches had far less wealth than the Corinthians. There was a wealth gap. But yet they gave, even beyond what seemed reasonable for themselves. It reminds me of the story of the poor widow in Mark chapter 12. Jesus points out, and the disciples are gathering around, and they see that there's a woman who's given two copper coins to the temple. And there's other people who've been giving much larger amounts. But Jesus points out to the disciples that this poor woman with her two coins has given more to the treasury than all the others who had given in greater amounts. This is kind of the similar thing that's happening here between the Macedonians and the Corinthians. Anyone here like pizza? I guess a, a, a better question was who doesn't like pizza? There's may, I mean, there may be some of you. Rare, as it may be. You know, I once read that Pizza Hut had donated cumulatively about uh, 100 million pounds of excess food to charitable causes. That's a lot. And I'm not going to in any way besmirch that generosity. But they are also a massive company with a billion dollars in revenue a year that they can afford to send the excess food off to charity, right? They can do that. They can handle that. I lived in Chicago for many years, and one of my favorite pizza places in Chicago was this pizza uh, chain, I guess you can say. It's a family-owned chain. Um, called Lou Malnati's Pizza. Let's see, there's Lou Malnati's Pizzeria. That's the downtown Chicago uh, spot. The Malnati family was, it seems weird to say this because it seems like such a weird phrase, they were a well-known pizza family, right? They had numerous um, other pizza restaurants as well, but they had one called Lou Malnati's Chain, and they had a number of restaurants, and they had done pretty well. Now, they happened to be Christians as well. So when they were about to open their 10th store. They prayed about it. They met with some churches around Chicago, and they decided that they would give their tenth store entirely to God's work. And so, they opened up this spot. It's hard to see. Um, Lou Malnati's in Lawndale, 
which is then and still is the roughest neighborhood in Chicago. The highest crime rate, the fewest grocery stores and restaurants. It was a wasteland in some ways. They opened their restaurant there. They established hiring practices that emphasized that they wanted to hire people that lived in the community that needed an opportunity for employment to put on their resume so that they can get bigger and better jobs. They made sure that any profit, all the profit that came from that restaurant would be either given directly to the churches in the community or directly to com community development projects to improve safety and stability in Lawndale. In other words, the Malnati family never did and never will earn any money out of that restaurant. They gave it. Their tenth store. It's a big deal. Paul in 2 Corinthians is calling attention to the fact that the Macedonians had comparatively given so much more. And this isn't a guilt trip on them. This is to say, hey, let's just take a look at it. It's not because I want to compare you to the Macedonians. It's because I want you to be drawn to why the Macedonians did this. And the why is in verse 9. It is because of Jesus. It is because of the example that Jesus gave. Because again, it is because of Jesus' grace and His example of taking on human form to live with so little when He could have had so much. It all comes back to being like Jesus. To live like Christ is to embrace a life of giving. Okay, that's a super simple statement to say. I think we could all affirm it. I think we could all, yeah, that's true. We all get it. We all get it cognitive and intellectually, right? We, it's easy to understand. But for this to bear fruit in our lives is a whole nother subject, isn't it? To put it into practice is hard. We are, as a people, not by nature generous people. Instead, if human history teaches us anything, we are by nature a selfish type of creature. Sharing, giving, is not natural. We're not born with it. <laughs> I love that kid's expression because that kid is all of us. You know, you know that there's some parent back there trying to convince their son to share that push-up pop, but he's reluctant. And when he finally does share and the other boy takes a little bit of a bite, He's kind of like, wait a minute. 
giving is not natural to us. We have a selfish streak. I see it every day at home with my kids, and I love them dearly. It's not natural to us. But thankfully, 2 Corinthians clues us in to something that I think is critically important that empowers us to make giving a regular part of our lives. And that is we're encouraged to cultivate our hearts, to cultivate the sense of eagerness to give. The reason I say this to word cultivate, even though it's not here, strictly speaking, um, in the passage, is that repeatedly over and over again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul uses a certain kind of language to talk about giving. He first makes it clear in verse 8 that he's not commanding them. He said, look, I'm not ordering you to give more. Instead, repeatedly throughout the passage, the language of emotion is laced throughout the entire passage. The heart condition of the Macedonians is pointed out, and the heart condition of what he hopes for the Corinthians. In verse 2, he talks about joy welling up into generosity. In verse 4, he talks about the Macedonians urgently pleading. He talks about complete earnestness in verse 7, and earnestness in verse 8, desire in verse 10, verse 11, eager willingness, and verse 12, willingness. It's repeated over and over. That's a lot of times in such a short amount of space to keep coming back to this idea of wanting to give. The biblical author gets repetitive sometimes. And whenever in any passage a Bible writer is repeating the same idea over and over and over and over again in such a short span, that clues us in that there's something important that we need to pay attention to. And that's where this is right here. Paul keeps on returning to the idea of eagerness and willingness, the heart condition of the giver. He knows that it is hard for the Corinthians, who are used to living comfortable lives, to give up their own comforts for the sake of others. That should sound familiar to most of us. We're not that different. We live in relative comfort and stability. And sure, there are some of us here who go through some very difficult times financially and otherwise. But by and large, our society as a whole, our culture is one of wealth and comfort. And you've heard me talk about this before. But regardless of our home context, the challenge to want to give, to desire giving, is not easy. We are surrounded by a society that teaches us to live otherwise. Ron Sider, in his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, writes, I think, a lot of very helpful things on this topic. And I'm just going to read you one paragraph from this book because I think it kind of captures what I think is the challenge for us as American Christians. We need to make some dramatic, concrete moves to escape the materialism that seeps into our minds via diabolically clever and incessant advertising. We have been brainwashed to believe that bigger houses, 
more prosperous businesses, more sophisticated gadgets are the way to joy and fulfillment. And as a result, we are caught in an absurd materialistic spiral. The more we make, the more we think we need in order to live decently and respectably. Somehow, we have to break this cycle. Because it makes us sin against our needy brothers and sisters and therefore against the Lord. It destroys us from the inside. Sharing with others is the real way to joy. Break the cycle. I don't read this to make us feel guilty. I read it to say this is what we are up against. Our culture is so based on our own comfort and wealth that when we get a little bit more, what that means is we can spend a little bit more. Our minds, instead of automatically going to, if I earn a little bit more, great, that means I could give more. We think, I earn a little bit more, great, so now I can afford this. Does that make sense? You guys all tracking with me? This is kind of how our society works. It's a trap. If, if you're interested in exploring some alternative ways to think about things, you might want to check out this book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. I recommend it. To break that cycle, to get off of that treadmill of endless acquisition, we need to cultivate, kind of like in a garden. It starts small, but you keep working it, and you keep working it, and we till the soil of our hearts until we become eager and joyful and wanting to find opportunities to give. If it doesn't come easy for us, let's start small. Train ourselves. Those of you who recently trained for your marathons and half marathons, training is hard work, but it takes little steps to keep moving in the right direction until we are where we want to be when it comes to our resources. We train ourselves to find life-giving, God-given joy as we give. Now, what are some ways that we can cultivate this? There's many ways, I'm sure. But I'm just going to offer you some very practical examples, right? doesn't mean that these have to be things that you do. But these are just some things that you could do. One, make giving a part of your worship. After all, it is an expression of us trying to be Christ-like, to honor God with our resources. What do I mean by that? Whether you're at church on a Sunday morning or even at home, make giving worshipful. For a long time, uh, and we still do, our family raises support for our livelihood. We send out letters and donors support our ministry, and that's kind of how things work in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And when we were learning about how to ask people to partner with us in ministry, we were told this story, and it's a story I want to relate to you. There was a man who was, uh, by all accounts, a fairly successful person, an executive in a fairly large corporation. And he decided that the way that he would give to churches and to missionaries and ministry partners was that he would take a, set aside a time every week 
in his office, he would tell the secretary in the front desk, I'm closing the door for one hour. I'm not taking phone calls. No one can bother me, please. Um, I'm just taking some personal time. So he would close the door. He would turn on, the, turn on his CD player in that time um, and listen to worship music and praise music or sometimes choral music. And then he would take out newsletters of missionaries and churches. And he would sit there, read them, and write checks as he listened to music, as he worshipped. You see, what he was trying to do was saying, giving is not just something I do blindly on the side. He, although he certainly had the resources to do it, could have just done everything electronically and automatically, out of sight, out of mind. But what he was doing was training himself to always associate giving with worship. Giving and worship. Make giving a part of your worship, whether that means participating in that here when the offering ba bags go by, or setting aside time at home to do that at home. If you have more transactions to do and more donations to send to different organizations, find a way to make it a worshipful experience. Another suggestion. Make it a practice at Christmas time. I know it's a long way away, but you can start planning now. To have the family give together, to celebrate giving, and to make it the highlight of your holiday rather than just the opening of presents. And what I mean by that is this. We tried this out this year for our own family, and it seemed to go really well. We're going to hope to expand that a little bit. And what we did was, throughout the, throughout the year, our kids get an allowance, right? We say, okay, you help out around the house with chores, and you do these sort of things, and you vacuum this room, and you do this room, and every week you get a little bit of an allowance. Now, some of your money will go automatically to your spending account. Some of it will automatically go to long-term saving, because we're trying to teach them saving. And some of it is going to go to giving. That's annoying to them, because that giving category is inaccessible. They cannot use it to buy whatever they want. Now, at the end of the year, what we did was, okay, how much do we all have? Let's pool it together. We have X amount of dollars. I think they had saved about $300 uh, between the three boys throughout the year. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do with it? They took a catalog um, of a ministry that does stuff around the world. And they said, okay, well, for $20, we could provide health care and food for a mother and nursing child for a year. Hmm. For $50, we can help someone build a well, or, or $30, I forget what it was. And they said, hmm, for this one, we could provide vaccinations for a whole village. For, hmm, we, for this. And they started mulling over this catalog of gifts. They said, wait, there's a link on here. Can we go to this link and look at the videos online? And so we sat there and we watched these videos explaining what this amount of money would do for this kind of community. And they were agonizing over it. And it was fascinating to watch our children because there was at one point, um, I'm going to tear up, Ezra, our, our second born, started crying because he says, we can't help them all. 
And it made me realize that what we were doing in that moment was we were trying, and we're not perfect parents, but this is one thing we're trying to do. We're trying to help them understand that wealth isn't just about spending for yourself. We are going to celebrate giving to others. And it starts when the kids are young to include them in the giving process. So this is just one suggestion. Make Christmas a time to give together. You have a small group of friends? Come together and give together. Make it a celebration of giving. This is one way that we can integrate giving together into our daily lives. Here's another small thing that you might consider doing. Some of you have regular daily, weekly rituals of which coffee shop you stop by in or whatever, right? Whatever you tend to order, you get that receipt, keep it. Go home, look at it. Let's say the receipt is $4.17, something obnoxiously weird, right? $4.17, let's say, okay? And you're going to dedicate, say, one day out of my week, instead of buying that plus tax, right, including the tax, $4.17, instead of getting whatever that is, uh, buying whatever that is, I'm going to give exactly $4.17 to X, charity, church, missionary, set aside that exact amount. And don't just do it blindly, do it prayerfully. And with an intentional spirit of saying, I am not drinking this cup of coffee so that I can help a child have water. Intentional choices. Little choices, little things that we can do to train ourselves. It is hard work. I feel like I lived, I grew up in a fairly God-fearing family, God-fearing home, but I struggle a ton in this area of my life. Not a day goes by when I think about the other things that I want. Recently, I was looking at my grill And I thought, man, I moved that thing across the country. (laughs) That thing has seen better days. And it would be so great. I mean, okay, I'm just going to be honest here. That thing has horizontal gas burners. That is so annoying if you're trying to isolate and have indirect heat and direct heat. (laughs) I want a new grill. It is hard in our culture, isn't it? We earn money and we use that to think about what we can spend rather than what we can give. The work to cultivate eagerness is not easy. It's like training, but we have to start somewhere. Start small. If giving at church has not been your habit, it's okay. No one's here to guilt you. It's not about the church per se. It's about us trying to be like Jesus. And so if it takes a $1 donation a week, then start there because it's about training our hearts. It's about training us to be like Jesus, to walk in God's footsteps. We do it because embracing a lifestyle of generosity allows us to imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, then we want to be formed, to be like Jesus, more and more into the image of Christ. 
then let's put in the work in small things, in small ways, so that we can say without reservation that we gave all we could and did so with gladness. So that we could be like the Macedonians who embraced giving with joy and eagerness. So that we could be like our Lord Jesus, as verse 9 reminded us, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. What steps is God calling you to take? To cultivate eagerness, to cultivate a life of giving. There's a few suggestions for you on your back of your Connect card, and that's the kind of thing that if you want to check it off, you could also write it on the back of your um, program. There's a space that you could write down your next steps. No one's going to hound you if you're going to check something off. This is just a way for you to say, you know what, I want to do this. I want to spend some time praying this week about how I could increase my giving towards God's mission. And I'm, again, I'm not saying specifically necessarily here at this church. That's one option, but there are other options. You might want to spend time identifying small practices. Sit down with your spouse or your loved one or with your family, with your kids. Parents of youth, include your youth in this conversation. How can we do small things to cultivate a lifestyle of giving in our family? What ways can you include your young children in the practice of giving so that they see it? It's like, I hate to use such combative language, but there's, sometimes it feels like we're fighting a war against materialism. And if we don't do anything as parents when they're young, they're just going to absorb whatever it is that's around them. How do we include our children in the practice of giving? Or perhaps you just need to commit to praying, praying regularly and asking God to help you grow a desire in your heart to give to others. To be like Jesus is to embrace a life of giving. Small steps, baby steps. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you have called us to be like Jesus. That's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for me, I confess, to give up of my own comforts for the sake of others. It's hard for me not to buy expensive coffee. Lord, you know my spending habits. You know ours. Lord, we know that even as Paul, that this isn't about us trying to feel guilty or anything. This is about us trying to be like you. And so, God, would you move in us that we may be more like you who gave up so much for our sake. In Jesus' name.